Let us now read what we confess in the Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 44. There we find God's word summarized as follows. What does the Tenth Commandment require of us? That not even the slightest thought or desire contrary to any of God's commandments should ever arise in our hearts. Rather, with with all our heart, we should always hate sin and delight in all righteousness. But can those converted to God keep these commandments perfectly? No. In this life, even the holiest have only a small beginning of disobedience. Nevertheless, with earnest purpose, they do begin to live not only according to some, but to all the commandments of God. If in this life no one can keep the Ten Commandments perfectly, why does God have them preached so strictly? First, so that throughout our life we may more and more become aware of our sinful nature and therefore seek more eagerly the forgiveness of sins and righteousness in Christ. Second, so that while praying to God for the grace of the Holy Spirit, we may never stop striving to be renewed more and more after God's image until after this life we reach the goal of perfection. After the sermon, we will sing together from Psalm 51, the stanzas 1, 2, and 4. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, this morning we celebrated the Lord's Supper. We celebrated the Lord's Supper with our brothers and sisters in the Lord. However, some came to the Lord's Supper with a different heart than others. For within the church there are different kinds of people. There are those who are somewhat critical of the church and especially of members of the church. They think that most of us are not serious enough or not zealous enough or not evangelical enough. We should reach out more to others. We should do more in the community. We should also have fewer bad habits. They notice that some of us drink and smoke and partake of the wrong kind of entertainment, watching the wrong kinds of movies, for example, Our lifestyles leave too much to be desired, and we are too busy with our own careers and our own lives to care enough about God and his church. There are also those who think somewhat differently. They think that we do not draw the lines tightly enough. They are critical in a different way. They think that certain people are allowed to go to the Lord's Supper who shouldn't be there. They don't dress reverently enough. They don't have enough faith. They are critical of all kinds of new innovations such as radical changes to the liturgy and the singing of too many hymns and the use of modern translations. And they believe that there are too many who are quite liberal in their theology. And then there are those who have been a member of the church all their lives and who do not have too much to complain about. They feel comfortable in this church. They're used to it. They take comfort from the fact that they know that their sins are forgiven and that they belong to a true and faithful church. 
they don't make too many demands of themselves and of others. Now, what kind of a person are you? How do you see yourself and how do you see this church to which you belong? That's what Lord's Day 44 confronts us with. It deals with our Christian lifestyle. It deals with how we see each other within the body of Christ. It deals with you and me personally and how we are to keep God's commandments. It deals with the preaching and how strictly the laws must be applied. It asks the question about how strictly the minister must preach regarding the lifestyles of the people and their place within the fellowship of believers. And so this afternoon I will preach to you about the strictness of the preaching concerning the law of God with regard, in the first place, our holiness, and the second place, to the knowledge of our sins, and in the third place, the renewal of our lives. Let me state that once again. I will preach to you about the strictness of the preaching concerning the law of God. And that is with regard to, in the first place, our holiness, secondly, the knowledge of our sins, and finally, the renewal of our lives. In 1 John 2, verse 14, the apostle says, I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God lives in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Why do you think John would say that? Well, he knows how full of energy and zeal young people are. In their youth, they are quite idealistic about the things that they can accomplish and change. And they do accomplish a lot. It's in your youth that you establish your career. And that takes energy and ability and know-how. And it also gives you a certain confidence. You see progress in your life. And the same thing is true with regard to their Christian life. They are full of vigor and zeal in that regard as well. They feel themselves growing strong. They're strong in the Lord. You'll find the same thing with those who are newly converted. They discover the gospel of salvation and are extremely thankful and enthusiastic about the Bible. They embrace God and his commandments with both arms and they change their lifestyle. They no longer do the things that they did before. It's a completely different life for them. And they are somewhat miffed by those people who have been Christians all their lives and who do not show the kind of enthusiasm that they have. They are perplexed to find that their fellow Christians are such sinners. They are disappointed by the sin that they find all around them. And so sometimes they go searching. They go searching for a church where the people are more enthusiastic and where they do not sin as much. But now back to the catechism. It asks the question whether those converted to God can keep God's commandments perfectly. It gives a clear and unequivocal answer. It says no. It's not the first time that a catechism asks this question. It did so already at the very beginning. Question 5 also asked whether or not you can keep God's law perfectly. And then the answer was also no. And then it added the statement, I am inclined by nature to hate God and my neighbor. 
It's a good thing that a catechism asks the question again at this juncture. Obviously, it's an important question. A lot depends on how we answer. The second time that a catechism asks this question is after we have dealt with the large section dealing with our redemption through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and after we have dealt with the Ten Commandments, how we are to keep God's laws. Every single commandment has been dealt with, and now again this question about the keeping of God's laws. Can we do it? Why does the catechism do that? Well, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, it wants to impress upon us that we are incapable of keeping God's commandments. And that includes the young men and the young women who are strong, and that includes the newly converted. None of us is capable. That is what the catechism on the basis of God's word tells us. Yet the answer is not totally negative. It does say that the holiness, that the holiest do have a small beginning of this obedience. Who are those holiest? Does God have different kinds of people in mind here? That's what some people think. Maybe it refers to Abraham and David and the apostles such as John. Or maybe it refers to the minister. Well, then they don't know the minister. And then they don't know either the depravity of all men. Does it refer to those who are a little bit more holy than another person? Those who, as the catechism says, with earnest purpose begin to live not only according to some, but to all the commandments of God? How do you recognize such people? How do you know that you are zealous enough for the Lord. Do you do that by comparing yourself to others? Typically, that's what a lot of us do. Actually, I think we all do that. But a lot of people, they set the bar too high. They compare themselves to people with bad habits, those who smoke, for example, or those who are gluttons, or those who drink alcohol. Or they compare themselves to people who are not as upfront about their Christianity as they are. They don't evangelize at work or in their neighborhood. They're not as zealous. Or they compare themselves to people whom they consider to be too liberal in their attitudes about what happens in the church with regard to the way the Lord's Supper is done, for example, or the kinds of hymns we sing, or the kinds of movies or TV programs we watch, the kinds of books we read. Now, there's no doubt that we have to be concerned about a lot of these things. We should be on our guard and we should warn each other when we go on the wrong track. But the problem is that in this way we run the danger of coming with our own list as what it means to be a Christian. The problem is that in this way we make distinctions amongst ourselves. We stand in judgment over those who smoke or who drink too much or who are not as enthusiastic about speaking about their faith. We relegate them in our own minds to an inferior position before God. Because they don't comport to our list, we think that they don't quite measure up. Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, 
young men, young women, let's be careful about making a list. Let's be careful to think that we can isolate certain elements of each commandment of the Lord and then that we can elevate them to a greater importance than the Lord God does. For do you know what the danger is with such a list? Well, you can fool yourself with it. You can fool yourself into thinking that you, because of the things that you do and the kind of person you are, that you are a little bit holier than the others. That's very dangerous. And that's not what the Bible teaches. Do you know what the catechism and therefore what the Bible refers to when it says that only the holiest have only a small beginning of the obedience that God requires? It refers to those who came to the Lord's Supper table this morning with a humble and contrite heart. They, in accordance with the form of the Lord's Supper, acknowledge that they seek their life outside of themselves with Christ. And they acknowledge that they are aware of their own sins and their own shortcomings. Those are the holiest. And do you know who those holiest people therefore actually are? They are those who in spite of their sins want to live close to the Lord Jesus Christ and who want to live out of grace. If this morning you came to the Lord's Supper table, not because you are holy in yourself, but in order to receive the holiness of Christ, then you are one of the holiest ones. Because only He can make you holy. Brothers and sisters, and that includes you strong young people, be careful how you judge. How do you know about the struggle of your brother and sister in the Lord? Outwardly, some people may look to have it all together. But if you look into their hearts, then they don't have it all together at all. And others, from whom it may seem that they have a little control about their bad habits, it may be that they do have it all together because of their struggle in the Lord. Let me ask you a personal question. I'm asking each and every one of you. I'm also asking you young people and you boys and girls in the pews. The question is, do you want to live according to the commandments of Christ? Do you want to please the Lord? What are the struggles in your life? You young people, do you always respect your father and your mothers and your, your mother and your teachers? And sometimes also your fellow students. All of us, what kind of things do we do in our own lives? How do we show our faithfulness to God? What kind of bad habits are we into? What bad habits do you have? Are you impatient with your wife or your husband or your children? Do you eat too much sometimes? Or drink too much sometimes? Does your mind sometimes go where it shouldn't go? All of us has to all of us have to say yes to such questions, don't we? But now let me ask you another question. Do you hate that about yourself? 
Do you hate it that you cannot conquer your own sins? Do you really want to serve the Lord? And I think that the vast majority of you will say that you hate your own sins. You don't like a lot of the things that you do. But it's hard to see yourself in that light, isn't it? It's a lot easier to look at the sins of others. You would rather think about the things you do right. That's our nature. And no doubt you do a lot of things right. You read the Bible every day and you pray to God and you want to be faithful to Him. You want to be faithful to your marriage vows. You don't like your bad habits. You want to be in a right relationship with God and with your parents and with your children and with your brothers and sisters in the Lord. But do you think that you can accomplish these things through your own holiness? You first have to realize what a great sinner you are yourself. And if that is the case, then you will also realize how much you need the Lord Jesus Christ for this. And then you will also realize how small, how tiny your obedience is. We come to the second point. The Catechism asks a critical question. It asks why the commandments have to be preached so strictly. It asks the question in the same Lord's Day where the Tenth Commandment is dealt with. And the Tenth Commandment deals with the heart. It deals with that which precedes the actual sin. As I told the Catechism students last week, if you can keep this commandment perfectly, then you will automatically keep all the other commandments perfectly as well. Because then your heart is pure before God and before your neighbor. And then you harbor nothing wrong within your heart and within your mind. And then you will also do the right things. But we all know that we have not reached that perfection. Far, far from it. And so why do these commandments have to be preached so strictly? It is something that Paul also deals with in the passage that we read together. He deals there with the purpose of the law. In verse 19, he gives us the reason why the law is given. It was given to us because, he says, of our transgressions. Because of the fact that the whole world is a prisoner of sin. No one accepted. The law was given, he says in verse 24, to lead us to Christ. Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, the Lord God requires something quite radical from you and from me. He doesn't just demand from you that you are more obedient to those in authority over you, for example, or to your parents, and that you have to overcome some of your bad habits, and that you have to be more zealous. No, he demands from you perfection. In everything. As the Lord Jesus says in Matthew 5 verse 48. You must be perfect. As your heavenly father is perfect. It's easy enough to compare ourselves to others. It's easy enough for each and every one of us to identify. One or more areas in our own lives. Where we are doing better than somebody else. We're all guilty of doing that in our own minds. 
We are good in picking out the weaknesses and shortcomings and the failings of others. But is that what the Lord God wants us to do? Does he want us to compare ourselves to others so we can feel good about ourselves? No. We may not use another person as a mirror to show us who we are. The Lord God gives us the law as a mirror to show us who we are. And if we gaze deeply and carefully and constantly into that mirror, and then you will realize that you only have a small inkling of what a sinful, miserable creature you are and how you are in need of redemption. It's painful to look in the mirror that way, isn't it? But if you want to find a cure for your misery, then there is no other way than to realize, first of all, of how sick you really are. For if you don't know that you're sick, then you won't go to the doctor either, will you? Now, the same thing is true of your spiritual sickness. If you don't realize how spiritually sick you are, then you will not go to the Lord Jesus Christ either, who is your doctor, your spiritual healer. And it's a good thing that the Lord God does not expect us to come to him first, because then nothing would come of it. Without his law and without his word, we would not realize how badly we need healing. And it is for that reason that the Ten Commandments must be preached so strictly. All the nuances of the law and the many requirements of the law have to be carefully spelled out to you. The law has to be read from this pulpit every Sunday so that time and again you will realize the enormity of your sins. For it is only then that you will come to the Lord Jesus Christ as a beggar. As someone who opens up his hands and who says, Oh Lord Jesus, fill my empty hands with your grace, with your obedience, and with your wonderful love. Paul says in 1 Timothy 5 verse 22 about those who are new to the faith, Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands. Do you know why he says that? Because new converts have not yet matured in their faith. They are full of zeal and enthusiasm for the Lord, and that's great. That's wonderful. The problem is that they may think that because of their enthusiasm and newfound obedience, they have somehow added to their own salvation that they are better than those seasoned Christians. And then they become disappointed in others who don't have it as much together as they do. And the same thing is true of the youth. Once again, be careful how you judge. As you get older, you are no longer as taken in with your own abilities to keep the law of God. You're disappointed. You're not so much disappointed about other people, but about yourself. I know that I am. In spite of the fact that I love the Lord and want to keep his commandments, I know what a great sinner I am. And that congregation drives me to Christ. It drives me to Christ time and again, and it drives me on my knees. And it makes me zealous 
Not in the first place for the law of God. Not so that I can make all kinds of rules and regulations for myself and others. But it makes me zealous for God himself, the lawgiver. For his grace, for his mercy, for his Holy Spirit to renew me. It drives me to beg him for the forgiveness of sins. And once I do, then I know that they are forgiven through the blood of my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And that's a tremendous relief. I can go on again. I can go on with my life. Not so that I can go on sinning. Not at all. I keep on trying. And so should you. All of us should keep on fighting against our sins every day. And every day of our life, we must compare ourselves to the law of God. And then the great comfort is that you know that the law has been fulfilled by your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And if that's your mindset, then you look at your brothers and sisters in the Lord much differently. Also at the things that happen in the church. And then you will have a different kind of zeal. Not that the wrong things in the church or about your brothers and sisters in the Lord don't bother you any longer. Or that you shouldn't see the sins of others. Not at all. But that you see it all in a completely different light. You put yourself in the picture first. And then all the other things are seen from a different perspective. They are somehow less important. Still important. You put things into a proper perspective. You are thankful to God that you may belong to a church where the preaching is central. To a church where the commandments are taken very seriously. Where in spite of the imperfection, there is a true desire to serve God. And then you won't want to walk away from a church like that. And then you're also thankful for your brothers and sisters in the Lord. In spite of their sins. And then in your mind you do not stand in judgment over them. Thinking that you are a little bit better than they are. You should not be coming to this church because of the holiness of the members of the church. Or stay away because of the lack of holiness. Do you know why we come here? We come here because of the holiness of Christ. We come here so that his holiness may be our holiness. Brothers and sisters, young people, we all need the Lord Jesus Christ desperately. That's why we went to the Lord's Supper table this morning. And that's why also this little baby, Aliyah Jade Slump, was baptized a moment ago. She too is a sinful human being. Sinful from the time she was conceived. And because we recognize that, she received baptism. The baptism points to the forgiveness of her sins. As she struggles with her sins growing up, her parents may point to her baptism and remind her that she has been washed in the blood of Christ. That in spite of her sins, she belongs to God. That no matter how deeply she falls, the Lord God will not reject her as his child. Now, a Baptist would shudder at this. 
You have to do something first before you can become a child of God. You must believe and you must show that you have an active faith. That you are able to keep some of the rules. Can you imagine if we treated our children like that? What if Aaliyah's parents said to her as she grows up that she has to do something first before they fully accept her as a child of theirs? Do you think she would feel loved? Of course not. Not that the parents wouldn't put any rules in place, of course. But the relationship comes before the rules. That's the way it is in our own homes. And that's also the way the Lord God deals with us as his children. The Lord God has just made a wonderful promise to Aliyah. He claimed her as his own. And he also promises to give her the Holy Spirit. And that, how, that promise holds true today for us as well. It is through the Holy Spirit that we are given birth as children of God. That brings us to the third point. Brothers and sisters, it is true that baptism is not a ticket to heaven. If we reject God, then God will also reject us. That's also true of our own children. If in spite of the fact that we give life to our children and feed them and nourish them, and then at a later age they want nothing to do with us anymore, even do not want to carry the family name anymore, then ipso facto, by that very fact, they are no longer our child. That's true of baptized children as well. Oh, sure, when a baby dies in infancy, then believing parents may be assured that the child will also be saved. They do not have to doubt that. That's not because of the baptism. Baptism is only a sign and a seal of God's promises. A child of believers who has not yet been baptized will be saved as well. However, right now I'm not talking to children who do not understand anything yet I'm speaking to all those who are able to understand and it also includes the children who are sitting here in the pews there are a lot of things you can understand already aren't there you know the Ten Commandments don't you and you know that the minister also preaches about the Ten Commandments about the law of God about his rules do you know why the minister does that Do you know why he so strictly preaches them here in this church? So that you may know God's will and do his will. He gives the Ten Commandments to you because he loves you. He does not want want you to not to listen to the Ten Commandments of God. He wants you to take them very seriously. That's why your parents also put rules in your home. It is because of their love for you that they do that. And that's why God gives his laws as well. Because he loves you. He doesn't want you to come to harm. It is true that there are those who are too easily satisfied with being a member of the church. They come to church... They pay their voluntary contributions to put their money in the collection back every Sunday. They're quite comfortable in the pews. But for the rest, there is little spark or zeal. Well, the law is preached so strictly so that you can be woken up from your slumber. 
when the law is read and preached, then you are given a wake-up call. It's like your alarm clock early in the morning when you're fast asleep. An alarm clock has a shrill and annoying ring. And it's only so that you can hear it. Well, sometimes the law can have an annoying ring as well. Because it is our nature not to want to do the law of God. It's our nature just to sit back and relax. Well, the Lord God does not want you to be lazy. He wants you to be renewed in your heart and your mind so that you are up to the task that God puts before you. And that's why you also exert yourself for God. And so, what is your aim? Your aim is to reach perfection. Not perfection so that you can receive Christ, but it is only through Christ, through his Holy Spirit, who equips you every day. And then you do have a small beginning of the obedience that God requires from you. But that small beginning had better be there as well. You have to prove that you're a child of God. You have to struggle with your own sins each day. And you have to do that in the strength of the Holy Spirit. If that's how it is for you each day, only then will you receive the perfection in the life hereafter. And then in the end of life, the Lord God will say to you, Well done, my good and faithful and humble friend. Through Christ, you reach perfection. Enter. Amen.